Hey, welcome back. It's time again for Living Hope. I clear my throat. (laughs) The one show, the only show that talks about the real life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis. And today, well, we're just going to kind of catch our breath and recap some of the things that's happening. Maybe we'll catch up with Roberta Luna and her continuing journey here. Welcome, Roberta. Thank you. Thanks for having me back again. And I think I need to clear my throat. Yeah, I don't know what we're doing. Something in the air all of a sudden here. Yeah, good to be back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Well, you know, it's good for all of us to be back. We're taping this in February of 2023. We've been through an incredibly rainy season here. And I hear more people suddenly, me too, still a little cold, cough, something in the air. We're not used to congestion and everything. Is that a problem? You got sick during this period of time, and what was what would be a normal, just a flu or cold turned into pneumonia for you? Yeah. Because yeah. your immune systems are compromised? Is that a problem when conditions change? <laughs> I think so, and for most people who are going through, you know, any kind of cancer treatment or have, you know, low immune rate, it, it's easier to catch things. That's why you have to really be careful and be considerate of those around you, you know? My father had leukemia for many years. He did not die of leukemia. He was afraid he would. He died of a fall of all crazy things. Hit his head and swelled, and that was the end. But he was always warned by his doctors. This is years ago before COVID and all this stuff. Don't shake hands. Don't be in crowded spaces. Don't, 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 don't. You're more susceptible to everything. True, you are, but I don't know. I, I find it, I'm a very huggy, our family's a very huggy guy. I can tell, also. yeah. <laughs> that even though doctors, yes, did warn, I don't think I listened. And for the most part, I stayed very healthy during my treatment. So I, I don't know. I think it's just, I don't know what decides who you're So what get would you with. tell people who've just been diagnosed and they're trying to decide, what do I do now? Do I stay away from grandkids? My grandkids, kids get sick this time. My grandkids, that's yeah. why I'm coughing a little bit. I had something last weekend. Do we, should we? Do we steer clear of others? And is that then what does that do to your mental health if you're suddenly isolating? I think that's that's the big question is what do you do? And I think everybody has to just listen to their gut or what is good for them. Because how can you tell somebody? I mean, I would have had a very hard time had I had grandchildren not to be able to visit, not to have, you know, my family come around. Right. I think you maybe be a little cautious, you know, if you are sick or you know you're coming down with something. But, you know, I would still, I think I would need that personal touch. I would, it would be very difficult not to be able to be with people then. Why am I surviving? Why am I fighting yeah. so hard if I can't have those relationships? So I would just say, you know, do what feels right for you, and but just do be cautious. So here's another thought as we pivot to other. So this is kind of a catch. We had a guest today that unfortunately got sick, so we're right. winging a little bit here and just kind of using the time to kind of catch up, catch our breath. The other thing I'm wondering, we were talking about the new normal. We've somehow passed COVID. They're dropping the COVID mandates and emergency, although COVID hasn't gone away. COVID's still here. We all know people still getting COVID. It just seems to be that somehow we've either accepted it or because of the drugs and other things, uh, maybe the strains that are out there, we're not getting as sick as many people aren't dying, all this stuff. So somehow we seem to be building this into the new normal here. And one of the questions is, as that becomes just an accepted part of our life here, like a seasonal flu, we might get a seasonal periodic COVID or something like it. Will we continue to wear masks? Or do we just couldn't wait to throw them away and never do it again? Will we go back to shaking hands? Will we do all these things that we put on hold here? I wonder. I 
gone, as far as, you know, I mean, the human touch, I've gone back to hugging and not so much shaking. I wasn't, you know, really a fan of that to begin with. But, you know, if somebody offers me their hand, I'm not going to turn it away. I'll just wash my hands afterwards. And masking, I kind of off and on. It depends on where I'm going and what's going on, to be honest with you. So I guess I'm in that same ballpark. I'm a little I'm a little crazier because I have stopped shaking hands. I don't think I'll ever shake hands again. Everybody laughs. I fist bump or elbow bump now, and they smile and roll their eyes. They still offer their hand. I don't know when we started shaking hands. I don't know if George Washington shook hands. I don't know if Julius Caesar shook hands. I don't know when along the path of human history this started. But that was just in business. I was just after you shook hands all the time. And I don't see people doing that. I'm a good Catholic. Uh, there's a part of the Mass when you all turn to each other and say, peace be with you, and shake hands. Nobody shakes hands anymore. Haven't since the COVID thing started, and it ain't come back. We just flash the peace sign. We nod to each other. But I ain't grabbing your hand anymore here. So I wonder if that tradition isn't going to fade away. But Mass, boy, people couldn't wait to throw them off and get rid of them. Again, at Mass, I still wear one just because I feel we're in a crowded situation. We're all, you know, singing and, and spewing these uh, little <laughs> air droplets into the air. They always said that was one of the easier ways to catch it. And I'm not the only one in the whole community that's still got a mask on. I Like I said, it depends on where I'm going. I will wear a mask in really heavy places. But we have gone back to church in person, and we are not wearing a mask. Nobody else in the church is wearing a mask. But they are sort of distancing. But they are still doing – they have started doing the Peace Be With You again. So, yeah. But I don't know. There's just something that I missed about that that I think it's just – there's just something there about doing that rather than just, you know, Because I watch, for example, it. in Asian communities – See, little old Asian ladies still wearing masks. This is before COVID came along, because mm-hmm. they came from China, smog. They went through other sorts of flu epidemics, av- uh, uh, bird flu, and some other things. And they just accepted it. They're not being forced to do it. They just think it's smart. And yet, we were so resistant, so individualistic. Can't tell me, not going to do it, don't want to do it, can't wait to not do it. Uh, airplanes, I'm going to take a flight uh, mm-hmm. soon to, for just an overnight trip somewhere. And I wonder... I'm going to have a mask on. Does anybody have a mask on in the... You know, it's funny. We had, you know, a friend that traveled recently, and they did the same thing, but they said they, he was the only one with a mask on. Yeah. Nobody else had one on. Because I never like sitting in a yeah. plane. The air is always crappy. It's a really... One person got a cold, it's floating through the whole thing pretty quickly there. Exactly, and they're packing them in, so it's packing not like you in. have any room, really. not turning the air over very much or whatever. You here. certainly don't have the six-foot distance, right? No. <laughs> so I wonder, again, as a society, whether we're going to go back to these sorts of things as we look at whatever this new normal is, as supposedly we come out of the other side side here or stop thinking about it and stop acting like it's that we got to do something special but in your community the community of people who are survivors who are who are dealing with a serious life-threatening disease will they be different will they continue to wear a mask continue to distance continue to isolate continue to exercise extra caution most of the survivors that I have contact with have pretty much going back to what they did before. But again, they are very cautious. I mean, if they know somebody is sick, then, you know, they stay away from them. And when they do go into the medical facility, they are wearing a mask. So they are being cautious, but they're kind of going back to leading the life they did before. They're going back to the movies. They're going back to events. So they are doing things, but they are being a little more cautious about it. And I get the appeal of that, particularly for us Americans. You can't tell me what to do. I can do whatever <laughs> I want to do. We're very individualistic. But is that smart? I thought we would, because I'll tell you what, not only didn't I get COVID over the last two years, I didn't get the flu, all these other things I used to get regularly. 
just because we were more distance, more cautious, more precautions. So there was an upside to it. I don't I think, think I'm alone. I've, no, and I think, I know there's the mask whole issue is controversial, but I did believe, I mean, it did something, I think, because, again, like you said, I didn't have a cold or flu the whole time during COVID. I mean, I got COVID in the early days. Yeah. But, you know, once we realized what it was and I started masking and watching what I was doing, I didn't have a cold until I got that cold, you know, this this year when it turned into pneumonia. But up until then, I had been fine. You know what surprised me about this conversation, and we'll move on to something else here, is you started, and as you do so many times, as everybody at this time, no, no hard, fast rules anymore. Do what feels good for you. When did that become the rule of my health care? If it feels good. My wife, for example, has high blood pressure. Her doctor gives her high blood pressure pills. I said, did you take it? I don't feel like it today. <laughs> I don't know if I believe that. I'm not sure. I'll take a half a pill. So we're all this. It, does it feel right? We're we're judging everything on how it feels. Do I feel comfortable with that? Do I feel that makes sense? Do I feel like I believe that? We're we're not trusting in authorities anymore. Your doctor, the news, somebody who said this is what you do, and we listened. My dad would stand on his head if his doctor told him <laughs> to do that. And, well, you know, in the early days, that's it. Our, we put our doctors on a pedestal, and if they yeah. told us take two aspirins and call me in the morning, we did it without asking questions. Never, never. And and my dad, I, something would come up, and he'd say, well, let me go ask my doctor. I said, Dad, here, it's right on the Internet. I got the information. I talked to this one. No, 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 no. That Until I hear it from an authoritative figure, I'm not going to trust or believe it. Now, the minute we hear it from an authoritative figure, a politician, a priest, a medical advisor, somebody here, a scientist, we go, mm, I don't know, I, I don't doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> we seem to doubt everything that official dumb says. Well, it's because you don't know what to believe anymore because I think because of COVID, you got so many different stories <sighs> and answers and what you do and wear what a mask. you don't Don't do. wear a mask. It's real. Yeah. It's not real. It's so it was big. Very it's bad. confusing on what to do. So I understand why not trusting. But at the same time, you know, I think there are certain things like not to pick on your wife, but high blood pressure is very serious. So yeah, that's not too um, debatable. That isn't like, well, maybe, maybe not. But it's not something I think I would want to play around with because, you know, it could be you could unfortunately have something happen and not realize it. So we've dealt know. this a little bit on the show, but maybe not enough. I think many people, when they get the cancer diagnosis or feel the lump or see something, there is a like my wife. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I don't believe that. I'm not going to do it. Steve Jobs. Apple's founder famously put it off and put it off and tried some alternative things and healing and or I don't know what he did but you know something other than medicine until it was too late and he tried to go back in suddenly and do chemo and invent I forgot what he died of but whatever it, it was it was pancreatic cancer Steve Jobs it was pan pancreatic yeah cancer? it was pancreatic cancer it didn't, so. am, I, am I mistaken didn't he sort of deny this or fight it or try other alternative I treatments I think he was more secretive about what he was right. doing and I can understand being in the field you know his business and whatnot well, yeah the business would collapse he was the he's the guy and if he's sick yeah but he had the neuroendocrine the slower uh, less aggressive pancreatic cancer so he I believe he survived five years I don't remember exactly but um, I think he did try other treatments just not the traditional treatments because the, the storyline i read and again i don't know if this is true or not you have to tell me but uh, the 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 general story i heard was he was kind of in denial he didn't want to face it i can handle it i can deal with it i'll find other holistic treatments to do this and then when that didn't work we better get serious about this but at that point it had progressed yeah that's kind of what i had heard too he had denied it for a long time which you know, it's difficult to accept that kind of a diagnosis, especially when they're telling you you won't survive long. 
So I can, and again, being in the business world, um, I think that's when you're a powerful person. This yeah. can't happen to me. I can fight it. I can beat anything. They said I couldn't do this before. Well, I'll show them again. Yeah, that's right. They said I wouldn't do anything with Apple, and look what I've done. So yeah, I can right. beat it. So. so is that a problem for patients who are newly diagnosed? The typical stages, the famous stages of grief. First, there's denial. Then there's anger. Then there's acceptance, and then there's bargaining. If I remember the correct sequence here, <laughs> yeah, you know, first you say, oh, "I can't, I don't believe it," and then, and then why me? And then woe was me? And then hey, God, I'll cut your deal. Yeah, I think I I must be weird or something because I sort of skipped those five stages and <laughs> or most of them and just I think went to the anger point to where. I was not going to be the statistic on the dying side. I was going to be the rare one on the surviving side. And you and have, yeah. Yeah, I have, and I've been very fortunate for whatever reason, and I'm very thankful for that and for, you know, the fact that I do have doctors that, yes, in the beginning didn't give me great odds, but, you know, they've done everything they can to kind of work with me. They've agreed with the traditional as well as the holistic treatment that I've seeked, so I've been lucky in that sense. So did that anger, did that refuse to accept matter? You think that that's why you're a 20 year survivor, or it's just luck of the draw, or? Oh, I think for one, it's probably more luck of the draw. But I think the anger had a lot to do with it. Was that I was not going to be the statistic that was dying. I didn't like those given odds being told nobody survives this disease, as you know, because you've lost family members. Right. Well, how does? How does he know, or how do they know that I'm not going to be the one that will survive? I mean, he's yeah. not God, even though maybe we put him on that pedestal for years. He Only God is going to let me know when it's my time. But like my wife with her blood pressure, she just thinks she can will herself out of it. She's not a Christian scientist, but there's almost that kind of approach. I can just, you know, will myself out of this thing here. I think sometimes you can, you know. I mean, I've, you know, <laughs> See, I've, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, statistically, why am I still Don't here? try this at home, folks. Here, but. <laughs> I know. Here's a disclaimer, right? I'm not telling you not to do this. But, you know, why am I surviving so long when others maybe don't? Is it because... And a lot of others have just as strong as will as I do. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so it can't just be all. I remember the late Gilda Radner. She was supposedly very right. defiant. I don't know what kind of cancer she had. I but, believe it was either ovarian or, or a cervical cancer. But she yeah. fought aggressively, wrote books about it, did other sorts of things, tried everything she could imagine, and in the end lost the battle. So it wasn't she tried imagining and she was picturing it. She was fighting it in her head. All these ideas of positive thinking and reinforcement, and in the end. Hey, it's cancer. But she did survive for a while, longer probably yeah. than what she was given. And I think a lot of that has to do with maybe because of the fight that we put into it, the, you know, the maybe the denial, maybe that's part of it, or the anger, maybe all that combined together is part of the reason why some of us do. And you've talked about to complete the loop, there are those then that finally give up, say enough, I'm done, I accept it, I'm going to die, and I'm going to make the most of it during this period of time. I'm not going to take any more chemo, I'm not going to go through any more of this stuff here, I'm done. And your first impulse is what? Well, first, I'm going to say I don't like you using the word give up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I, I don't see or them accept, as maybe. giving up. It's the fact that, you know, maybe they fought and maybe they didn't fight, but they just decided, you know, I want, I think you have to look at your diagnosis as quality of life versus quantity of exactly. life. And, you know, radiation, chemotherapy, all those treatments are not easy. So you have to decide for yourself what works best for you. What can you do? What do you want out of your life? And if you want, the quality without all the illness and everything, then, you know, do what your heart tells you to do. If you don't want to do the treatment or you want to stop the treatment, that's your right to do that. But don't let anybody else tell you, well, we're not going to do anything else or you shouldn't do anything else. That's let your message use. all the time. It's, it's up to you. Right. You Only should be you the one to decide, decide what treatment and how long and what you do and 
when's enough enough or when it's never enough. In the early days when I was first diagnosed, I think I looked at things a little bit differently. Oh, sorry. I thought I felt a... Yeah, a little bang. Something. something. Closed the door too hard here. (laughs) But, you know, um, I went into it a little bit differently. So when somebody would bring me someone, you know, talk to them, they don't want to fight anymore, you know, try to convince them. Yeah, right. I did, but then I, I had a woman, you know, sit down and talk to me, and she's the one who made me realize it's quality of life versus quantity of life. Right. She had fought for a while. She had suddenly, you know, finally made the decision. I want to enjoy the rest of the time I have without being sick, without going to doctor appointments. Right. I want to spend that with my family, going to the beach, whatever it was. And she's the one who actually made me stop and realize I needed to look at it a little bit differently, and that changed my perspective as well. So it starts with you, starting to ends with you. What do you want? What are you willing to do? And, and where are you at in the journey? And all you can do is help people and, and give them ideas like we're doing in the show. That's why I think talking about this stuff here. You know? I, hope, I hope so, because I hope they realize that, you know, you always feel you're alone. You feel like you're the only one being yes. with, for one, you feel like you're the only one diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and then you feel like you're the only survivor. So I think, I hope it helps people to, to talk about it and hear more, even though, you know, some of the stories don't end the way we'd like them to. Those people were still very important and played a big important in someone's life and actually learned they played a big important in my life and been very inspirational. So as we look ahead, we'll leave on a moment of hope. This is living hope. There is some hope this year for a breakthrough in blood cancer. We've teased it before. Is any update on that any closer to Because the idea, if you could find it in a blood test like they can other forms of cancer then you detect it you wouldn't even know you have it and you detect it much earlier they could treat it they could radiate it they could remove it they could do something yeah. maybe like when you went in for your physical you know yeah. how they test for you know anemia and everything else psa so. if you're a man right. Right. exactly so that's a test that it looks like it's on the horizon and we'll have somebody coming in and talking about that and what that's that big. looks like yeah that's big that's going to be i think exciting and um, you know, we have just a lot of things out there that we're looking at, and survival rate has actually, the American Cancer Society did release the new survival rates for pancreatic cancer, and we have increased from 11% to 12%, there which, you, go. you know, still doesn't sound like a lot, but, you know, it's better than the 5% we had for so many years, and Double, it's yeah. the first year that it's actually actually gone up, it was 11% last year, and ended up being 12% um, this year. But Clinical the, trials, research, other sorts of things coming up. Anybody other news? Uh, anything that I, I know you actively got your finger in the pulse, and I was trying to find stuff. I'm just trying to tease out any other things you think might be coming this year. Yeah, we have a lot of things that are on the horizon. Like I said, and it's surprisingly, some of the red tape we're having to go through, I wasn't expecting. Um, <laughs> yeah, red tape being, there are some. We won't tease it up, but there's some researchers here in the community and. There's a red tape you got to go through. I don't know. Is it time to release? Should we announce it? Uh, what do we say? And you know, the, the, they don't rush to tell these things. They're reluctant sometimes to tell these yeah, things. I think they're being a little cautious. For one, they don't want to give false hope. Right. And for another, then you know, it doesn't look good, and I'm sure it doesn't feel good when things don't work out. So. And if it's a drug, they don't want anybody to know what they're doing because <laughs> it's a it's a secret. We're in stealth mode. We'll tell you when we're ready, not when you can catch up here. <laughs> All right, so stuff like that. And then events. This was headed towards the spring. This seems to be event. Why is spring event season here for you guys? Well, in the past, PANCAN, the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, has allowed us to do our what we call our Purple Stride, which is their signature event, right. whenever we chose to. And ours mm. was always in November because of November Awareness Month. But they've decided last year to try the one day. So now they have 60 events on this year. It will be <coughs> April 29th. And we're lucky to be back at Angel Stadium, so we're really looking forward to that, there having our event back there. 
This year we'll be in the front where the red hats are instead of in the back of the I parking lot. I think that'll lot. be cooler. So, yeah, so we're really looking forward. But you're still going to go into the stadium and run through the stadium and see your name up on the jumbotron yeah, yeah, and all that type of stuff. Yeah, we still have some things from last year that we did, but um, JB is going to also do some other new things. So we're looking forward we're to gonna seeing that. We're going to try to stream it. We, where stream was up for a while, but it went down for some reason. We're going to try and figure <laughs> that out and see if we can share that with the community through Facebook. Yeah, it would be great for them to see it if they can't come out and watch it or even to yeah. watch it later with some of the things they might miss. And so April's a big month. At the end of the month, we got that. At the beginning of the month, I hear there's a big jump coming again here. <laughs> yeah, I do this crazy thing. I like to celebrate life through jumping from an airplane. So, you know. Um. Which seems counterintuitive. <laughs> I'm going to put my life at risk to celebrate my life here. Well, it's kind of, and it's hard to explain, and people I know think I'm crazy, but for me, it's like being, okay, we go at least maybe 14,000 feet up in the air. You know, you're looking out, and yes, I am strapped to somebody, so I'm not by myself, but there's no safety net there. There's no, no there's no, no. mattress I'm going to fall into. No. But if I can look down and I can jump that high up, I feel like, you know, pancreatic cancer can't touch me. It's kind of a way to reaffirm. That's an amazing, because you know? we all have, I have so many fears and phobias. I'm afraid of flying, <laughs> so I can't imagine going up in the plane and then jumping out of the plane. I don't even <laughs> want to go up in the plane, and now you're going to get me to jump out of the plane here. Well, as people always say, why do you want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane? I can tell you, it's not perfectly good. It's very rackety. It makes a lot yeah. of noise. It's not comfortable sitting in. You can't wait to really get out of well, it. Well, I but. hope, like in previous years, we can convince somebody to come out and cover this thing. You have, in Previous years, you've had local news channels like Channel 9 or Telemundo yeah. or something. Come KKL out. came out one year and Telemundo came out, so we're hoping maybe they'll want to come back. And you know. And I said, don't you jump higher every year? Do you go, if it's 20 years, do you go 20,000 feet? But you said no, because... <laughs> well, I asked, yeah, I asked last year if we could go 20,000. They said, if you want to wear oxygen, and I don't want to wear oxygen. So um, the highest we've gone so far has been 14,000, and that a lot depends on the weather, the clouds, and that kind of thing, so... Uh, well, Reminds me, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, it was um, all over the internet. Some guy went to the outer edges of space. Somehow, a balloon, I think, took him up yeah. to the outer rim of however far the atmosphere goes before it turns into space and jumped out. And of course, he had a special suit on and all this kind I of stuff. I think it was that squirrel suit or something. It was, yeah, and it took yeah. forever. Yeah. It took quite a while for him to get down there, and he was going pretty darn fast. Yeah, it doesn't, for me, it doesn't last long enough. It takes you almost 20 minutes to get up to the plate, up, up and high enough. Uh -huh. And then coming down, it just, it goes way too fast. 20 seconds you, or yeah. something, yeah, it feels like. <laughs> well, it's a little, yeah, a little slower than that. But I, I wish, you know, I wish that it was more time coming down. But, you and know. Doesn't it scare the Jesus out of you? Is it falling? It, it does, in a sense. Um, because, like I said, you're standing, you're looking up, and you're looking down there, and it's like, you know, you see from high up, all everything is perfectly planned down there. You know, it looks yeah. really great, but it, it, it's, it is a little nerve-wracking, but it, like, again, like I said, if I can do that, then I don't think pancreatic do cancer or anything. Yeah, I What's can do the anything. scariest part? The initial jump out, probably? Actually, it's the trip up. <laughs> because really? It takes so long, so you have all that time to anticipate. I think about you know? it. Oh, yeah, I hadn't yeah. thought about that. Yeah. What but am it, I doing? What am I doing? Rather than, rather than just when you finally do it, you, you're committed. Yeah. It's just like, you know, you're going up, and especially for me, I think um, I've been up nine times, I think, now. So. And is there a point where it's peaceful? Yeah. when you, Just after the chute opens, 
it's just so serene. And my other thought is, it sounds crazy, but that, that's the closest as I can get to God without yeah. being there with him. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, we all think you of him. Knocking on the door. Right? Hey, yeah. I'm closer. <laughs> so it's just, it's a great, it's great feeling. Then when you come down, it's just really exuberating. So Well, put a big circle on your calendar. Tune in in April. And then when is uh, the Hirschberg Foundation's coming back? They're going to talk about their event coming up. Yeah, they have a symposium coming up on uh, March 11th. And we have Amy Wilkie coming next week to talk and tell us about that but it's really a great um, resource for survivors and for their caregivers and yeah. even doctors to look at so um, you can check them out at pancreatic.org they have their information about their symposium coming up it's from 8 30 in the morning to i believe three up at ucla it's, yes and it's worth i mean it really is worth it and you, you get a nice healthy lunch <laughs> is it there must be a cost to it or something no it's free actually so that's wow. the great thing it's free to survivors okay. and their families so really check it out and tune in next week like i said amy will be here and she'll talk more in detail about it so if that doesn't do it i don't know what will lots of stuff coming up maybe some big breakthroughs this year certainly lots of the big events in march and april including the big jump again here all that and more coming up as we continue this journey we call Living Hope right here on Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio. Providing hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer. Sharing the real-life stories of those really affected and how they deal with it on a daily basis. And, of course, always offering a number, a place to go. If you need help, if you want to know more, if you're in the midst of this journey or just starting it, there are people to help you guide guide you along the way. One of which is PanCam. The Pan, patient services number for PanCam, 877-2-P-A-N-C-A-N. 877-2-PANCAN. The Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. And all the others we've talked about. We've had numerous organizations on through the years. Check them out, call them, support them, and learn more. Or just come back and ride along as we continue this journey. Thanks so much.